As you know, when you preach through a book, as you know, as you know, any kind of preaching or teaching has to be done within its context. But when you're in a book, it, 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 it really lends itself for you making sure that you keep everything in context. And this passage cannot be preached without keeping in view the parable that just preceded it. It flows right out of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Remember? What was the point of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? We preached it last week, but sometimes we can make a mistake and focus at the very end of the parable. The prayer of humility, God be merciful to me, that certainly is powerful and it's a major portion of it, but that's not the point of the parable. What was the point? The very beginning, verse 9. For some who were doing what? Trying to establish a moral righteousness through the law. That was the point. Now in this passage, we're going to look at those who had no ability to establish a moral righteousness through the law. We're going to look at babies. We're going to look at children. So the title of today's message, very simply, such as these. Luke 18, 15 to 17, Jesus loves the little children all are precious in his sight. And let me say this to you. Let me make this clear on the front end so it makes it easy. There are many, many who are not physical earthly parents. But here we did at the 9 a.m. another baptism. You're all spiritual parents. So we always are reminding our congregation of that, Father's Day and and Mother's Day. There are many who desire deeply to be parents and, and we're not able to in the physical realm. But that doesn't change the obligation and the great privilege we have as a family of faith when we baptized this morning when we lifted that little child to the lord we make a statement before god we 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 answer a couple covenant questions and promises that we make and we make a promise as a congregation and a family of faith to come alongside of those parents to to nurture and to train them up in the lord So we are all, all of us, regardless, and maybe you have grown children and you feel like the season of of parenting is somewhat past, even though you're always a parent. We are called in the body of Christ to continually to be spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters all throughout our lives. So keep that in view as we walk through. Don't think that, well, I, I don't have any children or mine are grown. You have children and they're sitting right now here in this sanctuary today. Okay, ready? It's here now, the Word of God. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Pray with me. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. No one came here excited to hear the imagination of a man. But they have come hungry and thirsty for the revelation of God. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, comfort for those in storm winds, and rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. Father, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, 
now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and Him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Under the heading, such as these. Three points, very simple, out of this passage. Number one, there's a concern. There's a concern that parents are having and why they're bringing their children to Jesus. We'll look at that briefly. Number two, there's a command. Remember, we want to be very, very careful when we come to the Scriptures to be mindful of the variety of commands that are all throughout the Scriptures that can be easily missed. We think of Mount Sinai and we think of the tablets of stone that God etched with His finger, His law. We think of Old Testament laws. We have commands, divine imperatives, laws from God that are everywhere. And this one is powerful for all of us today. So we'll look at the command. And then finally, as always, we will look at the Christ. Okay? The little background here. It was common in Israel for parents to bring their children to the temple, to the rabbis, to the distinguished spiritual leaders for blessing, for prayers, for hands to be laid on. And and that's the background for what's happening here in the opening of the narrative. But the deeper point is when Jesus is going to now point us back to the Pharisee, to all of those in the church today, who are trying to establish a moral righteousness through the keeping of the law and not by grace, and how to look at the heart of a child, the heart of a baby. And that's what he wants us to see. Okay? Let's take a look. We shall head out together into some deep waters and let our nets down for a catch. Number one, what was the concern? The concern of the parents was to receive a benediction. This was the goal. They were bringing their children, their babies, their infants. I'm certain that even pregnant mothers were coming with the child in the womb, as we have here in our church weekly. Mothers who come pregnant with their children who are sitting. All of our four children sat for nine months under the preaching of the Word before they were ever born. So all of that lays the framework for what we're about to dive into. Okay? People were bringing, which means they were continually bringing. Okay, well, there's only a few Greek words we unpack. This one we we will not. They're just continually bringing their babies. And now, the Greek word for babies is babies here, and then the Greek word for children is later on in the passage. This really is for babies. And this is instructive. And you'll see later on in the sermon why this is instructive. So they're bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. Now, what we said this morning in the baptism... What we say often, the laying of the hands. Now, it was different with Jesus, to be sure. He was the Lord God omnipotent. But the touching, there's nothing magical or mystical in the touching. We do laying on the hands often in the church. We do the water baptism and we sprinkle them. There's nothing efficacious, nothing magical or powerful in the water. It is a sign and it is a symbol. When we lay hands on, we are making a statement to the watching world that we as a covenant community are setting these people apart for the blessings of God. That they have committed themselves to be set apart for God's service and for His use. So these people now are coming. They've heard of Jesus. They know what He's done. 
Maybe some of the infants were sick and some we don't know, but they're coming anyway for blessing after blessing and they're bringing these kids. But the disciples rebuked them. Now that's a strong word and the passage doesn't tell us why. Maybe the kids were a burden. They can be. Yes, parents, they can be at times. Not Claire, but at times they can be. I don't know. They can be a bother at times. We don't know. But they tried to stop it. Jesus was going to have nothing to do with that. But let's get an anchor. And the anchor is this that we say each week. And it's nice to get comments back on this. This is one word from one God to one world. You don't have two different testaments and 66 disjointed books. There's a single strand of truth that runs through all of sacred scripture. God's unfolding plan of redemption from the beginning. Opening words. The opening of Genesis 1 is what? If God ordains all things whatsoever shall come to pass. What's Genesis 1 and 2? The way for us to argue against those who believe in evolution. I originally thought that and used it for that. Not anymore. Genesis 1 and 2 is the backdrop of God's unfolding plan of redemption. In the eternal counsel of the triune God, Jesus was promised. By the blood of the eternal covenant, the writer of Hebrews tells us. So let's see how all of this fits together. Let's go back to Jacob. Remember his name was changed to Israel. And notice what he does, Genesis 48. Laying on the hands, a benediction. This is the archetype for us in all of Scripture. Jacob reached out. Remember Joseph? Joseph is raised up now to a position of great authority in Egypt. He has some children, and now he brings his two children. He brings them now. He's reunited with his father, Jacob, Israel. And Jacob reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, and he put his left hand on Manasseh's head. This is, this is, this is where we get this practice from it is rooted in the old testament scriptures so what do we say about the old testament scriptures what do we say about them this is that one word from one god and the new testament becomes the fulfillment of the old this is why it's wonderful for us to have the opportunity to share the gospel with our jewish brothers and sisters this is not a new faith not a new religion that popped up this is god's continuing unfolding plan that finds its ultimate fulfillment in the one true sacrifice that had been promised 1,500 years of Old Testament history. For 1,500 years on Yom Kippur, the most holy day, the high priest goes behind the veil, sprinkles the blood, and prays for what? The ultimate true sacrifice that would actually take the sins away. 1,500 years of that. And who gets to see it? Women first who peer into the tomb and the living ark where the clothes, the strips of linen are laying on the slab sprinkled with the blood. And the women look in and see for the first time what every high priest dreamed and cried out to God for for 1,500 years. The fulfillment of God's unfolding plan of redemption found in Christ. 
So all of this fits together and we fit these pieces together every week when we talk about the scriptures. We don't preach moralistic messages on how to have our best life now. That's not what this book is about. Can we find morality? Can we find ethical teachings? Of course. But what is the scripture about? It is God's unfolding plan of redemption telling us about himself and who we are and how God has planned for us to come to faith in Christ. Now, we need a little background. In the ancient culture... Children were a problem. They were regarded as an incredible burden. Infanticide was rampant in the ancient world. Archaeologists today have given us evidence of sacrificial rituals in a variety of different locations where children, where babies were offered to pagan gods. Sex-selective rituals were very common. Females were the first in the infants to go. And one of the ways, they had a conscience. Remember, people have a conscience. So they had a conscience, and they knew at some level that we shouldn't be just killing these kids. So they just simply exposed them. They'd set them out in the field. They'd put them off in some kind of a box or a can, and, 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 and their conscience would be clear We didn't kill the child. We just left it out, and it died of exposure. What what was the solution to that problem? And we're going to bring it forward to today. Jesus was the solution. The first century church changed everything. And we say infanticide. That's that's crazy. How could people do that? What do you think we're doing here in this country? With abortion. And it's legal. How many babies that we offer to the pagan gods? The right to choose? It's infanticide. Jesus said no. So we look back and we say, how could this be? How could it be today? They were truly, children were the least. We preached it in Luke 9. Remember Luke 9? Babies in the womb, listen to this. How important were children? Babies in the womb could receive a blessing. We have a couple examples of that in Scripture. Ready for this? This is is instructive to you parents. When you come to church with your child in your womb, listen to this. Jacob in Genesis 25, the older will serve the... There's a blessing given to Jacob by God in the womb. And then John the Baptist, we're told that he was what? Filled filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born, the blessing in the womb of his mother. So these are powerful statements that are being made, and now to really tie in how all of this fits together. Listen, just know this. The faith that you have, Christianity, was the first real religion that brought into effect safeguards for the rights of children. It was Jesus who laid this foundation. It was the first century church. You know what they spent much of their time doing? Running around the countryside, picking up these babies that had been set out to die. So it is the Christian faith that stood up and said, no more. All of these, every single life matters. The ground is level at the foot of the cross.
Babies that were deformed were the first to be thrown away. We have that debated today. We have it debated to the extent that we should perhaps possibly have, and I won't mention names, up to 30 days to make a decision whether or not we want to keep the child. Where did we think we had this kind of power and authority to make these kinds of decisions? Jesus says no. Such as these, he says no. Ephesians 2.8, here's the key in understanding the concern. They wanted their children to be blessed. How would the blessing come? By grace, you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Okay? So there's the, the culture, context, and the concern of the parents running their children to Jesus and the disciples saying, stop. Okay? Got it? Let's take a look now at the command. This is for all of us today, not just then. Here's the command. Probably one of the most often quoted, probably one of the sweetest of all scriptures in, in, in all of the Bible. Here's the command. Let the little children come. Do you realize that's a command? To me. And do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. We'll need to unpack that in just a moment. But this morning, we read the covenant promise in our baptism, did we not? Let's go back to see the importance of children in the Old Testament, in the commonwealth of Israel. Genesis 17, 7. This is that thread of theological truth that runs through all of Scripture. I will, God speaking to Abraham, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and you and your descendants for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants. So this morning in baptism, which we believe to be the sign and the seal of the covenant promise that was given to Abraham in circumcision, we perform that this morning before this congregation and God. Those parents were making a commitment. They were dedicating their child, setting the child apart for God, for his kingdom use, committing to living a life that would lead these children. They were committing to let their children come to Christ in every possible way in the years that they would have them, to raise them. So this is the promise that's given to Abraham and to his descendants, the spiritual seed. So here's the commitment. But it goes deeper. We see it in the Passover. We see it in what Moses tells us. So take a look at this. Moses expects children to be present and participating in covenant meals. Look at this. Exodus 12. When your children ask, they can't ask if they don't have any exposure to it. When they ask, what does this mean to you? So he's saying, when you have this covenant meal, this, make sure your children are there. Make sure they know what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. What does this mean to you, dad, mom? Tell them. It's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes. We made a sacrifice. The firstborn was going to die. But by the shed blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death passed over, and that pointed to what? 
The one true sacrifice. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All of the bleeding of the lambs and the sheep in the Old Testament pointed to the bleeding of the Lord Jesus Christ who was to come. The one true sacrifice who would truly be able to atone for sins. Never was sin atoned for in the Old Testament. It was a sign and a seal and pointed to the coming of the one true sacrifice. The promise in Genesis 3.15 that the seed, and women you have no seed, so the seed was from on high, the promised seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So all of this, Moses says, remember, remember to tell your children why we do this. And they are to participate in covenant worship. Bring your children to church. You know what happens a lot in here? Depending on the service. Like we had a Baptist, a lot of babies. Man, they, they, they make a lot of noise. Right? You got them moving around. They're writing in books. And they're doing all sorts of stuff. And sometimes you see people. Like you hear the baby make a noise. And people are like this. And back in there. If there's no crying in your sanctuary, guess what? You're dying. Got that? So parents, if there's a problem with the children, let the little children come to me. Bring them right here. And let them cry. Let them move around. Let them do whatever. Now, I understand if it becomes too much of a distraction. I get that. You're discerning enough. But let the little children come. There are some pastors who get so tight. They're not even sure where they are in their sermon. People say, don't, don't you hear that? I says, yeah, I hear all of it. I love it. It's life. Now, as parents, you got to try to, right? We were constantly, block, block, sit down, sit down. Kim, get, get her. She's under the pew. Stop. She's grabbing the woman's hat. Stop. So control the, give them a book. They're, they're, they're coloring. They're doing good. Keep Bring the children. They should be sitting under the preaching of the word of God. They should be worshiping as a family. Let them come. Jesus says, let them come. You won't, I promise you won't. You'll never, ever, ever have an usher come down. and You've got to take that child out of not on my watch. But have wisdom and discernment, right? And if it's too much, you know. We have the TV in the other room, cry room. You could go there. You know that. We, in our church, we want our children worshiping as a family. We want them worshiping as a family. So let them come, okay? Luke 18, 16, back to this. Now, now here's where it gets important because here's where this message can get. You know how sometimes the wheels can come off a track? And we can misunderstand something. We want to be very careful here. We want to make sure that we're theologically accurate. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Uh-oh. I'm going to submit something to you right here. <laughs> Why does Jesus say let him come? It's really going to be a twist on it. Well, let him come because he wants to bless them. Yes. But there's a deeper reason why let him come. Why does he say let the little children come? Because they're sinners in need of a Savior. 
Got that? Let's make something perfectly clear. You ever heard people say, well, children are just so innocent. They're just so innocent. And they may... You know who says that? You know who says that? Two groups of people. One never had a child, or two is grandparent. Grandparent. Because you get to give them back at the end of the day. Or maybe a long weekend. Your hair standing up in the back of your neck. You finally get them back at the end. Ooh, thank goodness you showed up. Take them out. And you, they're innocent. No, they're not. I used to... I used to we were saved in 95, had Brock in 96. Owned the wellness center we were working, so we kind of divided our time. And I'd come home, and I'd, get, I'd see sometimes Brock doing something. And I'd think to myself, because I wasn't theologically sounded at all, and I'd say, Kim, what are you teaching this kid? Where does he get this from? And I'm thinking, what are you doing at home? And I'm not here. And he's doing some really whacked out stuff. But then Jenna, same thing. And then Katie, and then the, oh, the tank. I don't even want to tell you. But you know, you, you, look and you look at yourself and you say, Helen, what are you doing at home with them? How do they do? They do it because they're sinners in need of a Savior. Margo, you know that. Mama knows that. So he says, let them come. I'm going to bless them. But they need to come because they need my grace. For this kingdom doesn't belong to them automatically because they're children and babies. Careful. What does David say in his great psalm of repentance? Surely. And no parent needs to be convinced of this. I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then perhaps probably the classic text on the original sin doctrine that we know that sin comes from one man to all and all die and one and all live in Christ. Just as sin entered the world, Romans 5.12, therefore through one man and death through sin, death came to all people because all sinned. You say, well, I don't know if that's really fair. Then you take that up with God when you see him. Okay, But I'm of the belief that I don't get a vote. Adam and Eve were the representatives of humanity. God chose them perfectly, set them before the watching world, and they fell, which means we all fell in Adam. Okay, So to say, well, you know, I don't think I would have done what they did. Hmm. Is that so? We're sinners by nature. And we're sinners by habit. Yes? Is there anyone who thinks they're sinless? I mean, when I'm talking to unbelieving skeptics, off, well, pastor, nobody's perfect. Right. But we need someone who is in order to get us back in to relationship with God. And we can't do it. So he says, let these, he doesn't say it, but he says, let, in my simplistic way of understanding, let these little sinners come. Because they need me as much as you do. By grace, through faith. So now a couple points such as these. Children are what? couple points. Ready? They're trusting. See, Jesus is trying to get to the heart. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, who trusted at a heart level? The tax collector. God be merciful to me, the sinner. 
Not the Pharisee. I thank thee, O God, I'm not like other men. Right? Remember that? We preached it last week. I thank thee, O God, I'm not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, or even like this tax collector. You ever wonder why he doesn't say, I thank thee, O God, I'm not like other men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah. They're a little higher up on the pole there. They've climbed a ladder a little bit higher. So he wants to compare himself with people who are doing worse. Don't we all do that? Yes, we do. So that we can feel better. What's the sin of pride? Comparing yourself to someone else. So that you can feel a little bit better. And I know I'm not alone doing this. That's why I've got Dan in the booth. Anytime I feel bad, I just look at Dan. I say, okay, i got somebody I know is worse than me. you got to have somebody like that. i got Sal. i I, I got, I got, a, I got a few here. i got a few. We do it by nature because we're sinful. Even after Jesus shows up, we're sinners in need of a Savior every moment of every day. That's why we need the gospel every day. But they trust. So Jesus says, do you trust? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on your own understanding. Then they're humble, right? Children are humble. Certainly, we, the younger they are, right? As they get older, we start to mess them up. But the humility, what does he say? Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let me make a couple points on humility, okay? Should you seek it? Certainly, nod your heads. Remember, you're being live streamed, so you're, and you're being videoed, so just don't, don't mess it. Should you seek humility? But you should never celebrate it, right? Right. Don't ever celebrate it. Seek it, but don't celebrate it. Okay? Humility. It's like the, 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 the team was on the plane after winning the championship game, and the quarterback won the MVP. And he's on the plane, and the attendant says, you know, you've got to fasten your seatbelt. He says, oh, I'm fine, little lady, I'm fine. And she's getting everything ready, and the attendants are moving around, and they're getting ready to take off. And, and, and she says, excuse me, sir, you, do you know who I am? Yes, I know who you are. I'm the MVP. We won the championship. I don't, I, 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 you need to fasten your seatbelt. She goes down to the front, and finally she says, would all the pastors please fasten him? Guy stands up, and he says, let me make this perfectly clear. Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she gets on the microphone and says, you're right. Superman don't need no airplane either. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You understand the difference? And it should be something that we seek but never celebrate. Okay? So that's the condition of the heart, such as these. And then we have to go to babies because babies is the key word because this is where it gets amped up and drives us right back to the parable and then forward to understanding why Christ had to go to a cross. Here it is. People were also bringing babies. Babies are what? There's two key things that babies confirm for us in the passage. Number one, they're unlearned. You know how many people I speak to on a weekly basis about this faith? Intellects. Intellects, always trying to figure it all out. Always trying to seek the mysteries of the world. What's the key in babies? They're unlearned. This is superior intellect. What's Jesus' point? You don't have to figure it all out. The kingdom belongs to such as these. They have faith. They trust. And then they're what? They're unaccomplished. This is exactly the opposite of the Pharisee. I thank thee, O God, I'm not like other men. And then he lists all the things that he's done. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I have. Babies are unaccomplished. There's no meritorious work. 
So he says, it belongs to these. Why? There's nothing they can claim. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. So it belongs to hearts that what? Beat for Christ alone and not for yourself. You have nothing to offer on your behalf that will get you in. Nothing. And that's what he's telling us. So finally, number three, the Christ. Here's the key in understanding the difference between the disciples and the Lord Jesus. And then we close. People were bringing little children to Jesus. We have to go out of the gospel sometimes. And you look at parallel accounts to get a full-orbed view. Luke doesn't have this portion, but we get it from Mark just so we can show you the heart of Christ. When Jesus saw what was going on, he was indignant. Take a look at the Greek word just for a second. Agoniketo is the Greek word that is a strong word of deep, deep, deep emotion. He's grieved. He has a holy furor. He's, he's angry with them. Don't stand in their way. Don't do this. He is beside himself. So now let's see how they have a history of doing these things and how compassionate Christ is then and today for you. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? What did they say? Matthew 14. Send them away. They too many to feed. Jesus said what? They do not need to go away. So they tried to get between the people and Christ. And Jesus says, no. You give them something to eat. He says, no, it's too late. There's too many. 5,000 could be 10, could be 15, could be 20. Nobody knows. Only the men were registered. So we know it's a massive group, five loaves and two fish, and they stand between Christ and his compassion. And he says, no, you feed them. They didn't learn from that. They do it again. And I'm sure they did it many, many, many other times that we don't have recorded in Scripture, right? So what does it say in John? If everything that was done was recorded in Scripture, the book would be too big. The world would not be able to contain it. So notice what they do to the Canaanite woman. Remember this one? She cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer. So his disciples urged him, send her away. These guys are so messed up. They just, they're constantly, Peter had foot and mouth disease, remember him? Constantly messing things up. So they're trying to get between the people and Jesus, and Jesus says what? No, I, I, that's why I'm here. If I didn't, I could have stayed where I was. I came to destroy the works of the devil. Don't stand between me and the people. So Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. So what did the disciples miss? Same thing that we miss today, don't you? You're going through a difficult season. Maybe you're going through a real struggle. Maybe at the office. Maybe in your marriage. Maybe at home. Maybe with your children. And what do we miss? How much Jesus truly cares for us. We have a tendency to just picture Jesus on that cross and, 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 and dying for our sins and bringing us in. Do you know how much he cares for just the little details of your life? Well, I don't think he has time to be troubled with that. He cares for everything that's going on in your life. 
He's part of everything that's going on in your life. He's ordained everything that's going on in your life. And he's walking with you through the details of life. You matter to him. And if something matters to you, it matters to him. The compassion of Christ knows no bounds. And these passages tell us, he says, let these children come. Stop. Don't hinder them. How do we close? This is not just for parents because physical. This is all of us as parents. You know how many children in the community we need to go to? There's estimated 100 million children all over the world that have no mother and no father. No place to live. Nowhere. So Jesus says, let these kids come to me. So we have a duty to do what? We have a duty to bring them. We must bring our children to Christ. Not to cause their salvation, but to create the environment for it. Do you understand the difference? You're not causing your children's salvation because you bring them to church. They're not saved because they go to church. They're not saved because you get them baptized. They're not saved because you read the Bible together. They're saved because of God's grace and His mercy. God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He is sovereign and in control of all things. But we have a duty to do what? To do what we have been commanded to do and to bring our children to Christ. But you know the blessing for us today? We don't need to search in Jerusalem, Bethsaida, or Nazareth. Why? He's everywhere. You simply bring your children to Christ everywhere you go. He's in your home. He's out at the ball field. He's in the dance studio. He is at the grocery store. He is everywhere you go. As you bring your children to Christ, you make him part of everything that you do. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, here's the key. We are God's gardeners. I planted, said Paul. Apollos watered, but God supplied the increase. It's all in the hands of the Almighty, but we have to do our part. So I'll give you three Ps, very simply. Three Ps. Number one, pray. Pray continually. Not just for them. Not just over them. Pray with them. Teach them to pray. Teach them how to pray the Scriptures and to come to Christ. Practice. Instruct in truth at home. Did you know what Paul said of Timothy? How from infancy you have known the scriptures. Don't, don't miss this. Since you were a baby, you've known the scriptures which are able to save. How did he know the scriptures from, from infancy? His godly mother and his godly grandmother. Who continually brought him to Christ. So we have to practice this truth daily. And you do this. All of you bring them. And then finally, we have to participate in what? There's no isolated Christianity. You're to be in corporate worship, Sunday school if you can. You're to be coming to the house of God. God says, let them come to me. Yes, he's everywhere. People say, well, I go to the golf course on Sunday and I worship him on the tee. Hey, good for you. That's good. I go fishing out in the ocean on Sunday. I worship him out in the Gulf Stream. Good. Good. But he's ordained that you come to his house. 
one day a week. He says, come. Let the children come. Yes, there are things that hinder us from coming at times. I understand that. I'm not being legalistic. But don't think that because God is everywhere, it doesn't matter to God where you go to worship him. It matters to him. He's ordained his house. You are his house, and you gather corporately as his house. The head is Christ, and we are the body, and we come to what? To worship and to be built up in our faith and to be strengthened by each other. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we need each other for this. So we come and we participate and practice. One other point I want to make, and I want to be, and, and, this is, and, and if you've done this, it's okay. Just, just to, to be reminded of this. This was taught to me a long time ago. We want to be very careful. Don't, don't ever use, don't ever use, and we do it sometimes without even thinking. Don't ever use starving children, hungry children, to try to convince your kids to eat their vegetables. But it's true. We'll do that sometimes, and we're not even thinking. Here's the point. Listen to me carefully. This, isn't, this, is, real, this is serious. We, we do that. Don't do that. Instead, listen to me. Instead of that, keep bringing them to Christ, helping them to grow and mature in their faith so that God will use them as a solution, as a sanctifying agent in the lives of those children who are without that we would raise up missionaries and we would raise up people of God who will look to be answers to the world's great problems. That's what the church is. We're an answer to the problems in this world. That's what God has called us to. In the power of God, by grace, through faith, we train up our children and we send them out to do God's work everywhere. And where is the mission field? Everywhere we go. So the final passage, take a look. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we, the whole passage was about let the children come, but what are we? We are the children of God, and that is what we are. If you've never received Christ, right now is a moment of invitation with outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands. Guess who just said come? Christ. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to die on a cross that we might have eternal life by trusting the heart of a child, trusting in what he has done alone for us. Hearts that are beating for the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Christ, and salvation is yours today. If you've never prayed, we're going to pray together in a moment. Come to Christ. Put your doing down and trust in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, if there's anyone here who has never surrendered control to Christ or by way of the internet, never having surrendered control to Christ, make this a word of salvation. Give the gift of repentance and faith. Raise them from death to life. Father, it is all a gift so that no man can boast. And we ask right now that everyone within the sound of my voice who has never understood what it means to be in faith that you will have given that gift this day. You will have taken the scales from their eyes. You have turned their heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and now it beats for Christ alone. And Lord, for the rest, some of us who have walked for decades with you, help us all to understand that as we continue to grow up, 
that we would never grow past the childlike trust, dependence, and humility as such as these. For to them belong the kingdom of God. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand and continue your worship with us?